microphone real quick. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Through the microphone? Okay, good. Good morning. Today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 1. And as you guys are turning, it is my privilege to be back with you all this morning uh, preaching the word. And I am super excited to be here. Uh, I do want to remind you guys to be in prayer for Pastor Sam as he is fulfilling his duty as a pastor right now and ministering to the Stahl family. So let's be praying for him. But as we are getting closer to Christmas time, I think it would be apt for us to get a little bit more ready for Christmas. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. And uh, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we start the sermon this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for this awesome church. Lord, thank you for those who are with us this morning. I pray for those who are sick. Uh, I pray for those who are traveling. I pray that you would uh, give them grace and give them mercy. Lord, I pray for Pastor Sam this morning and the Stahl family. Uh, please give wisdom and comfort where it is needed. And Lord, I pray that you would guide the rest of this day. And Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, but before we start talking about that, let's think way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. In those verses, you have uh, Abraham, and he is being spoken to by God, and God is promising him something, and that is that all of the earth would be blessed because of his family. That's a pretty big promise. Then if you fast forward to King David in 1 Chronicles 17, 11 through 14, you have God promising David that one of his descendants would rule on the throne forever. That's another pretty big promise. Now, let's, let's talk about some prophets for a second. You have the prophet Isaiah and you have uh, the prophet Micah. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, 14, says that a child would be born and he would be born of a virgin and this child would be called Emmanuel. And then you also have Isaiah prophesying in Isaiah 9, 6 that this child would be called the Prince of Peace and that his throne would be established forever. Does that sound familiar? It should. But then if you turn over to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, you, you have a verse where it shows that this ruler would come forth out of Bethlehem and this ruler would be from old. His, his goings would be from everlasting. The Old Testament is riddled with promises made by God talking about something so huge happening that it would change man's very relationship with God. This is the promise. This is the promise of Emmanuel. And even though these people didn't live to see the day, Abraham, David, Isaiah, and Micah all died before this day would this this day would come, this promise would be fulfilled. Hebrews 11:13 says that these people were persuaded of them and embraced these promises. They had faith to be sure, but coupled with that is hope. That is what we are going to be talking about today, the advent of hope. Let's read Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, so follow along as I read. Verse 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar, and Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, 
and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias, and, as, and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Zelethiel, and Zelethiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while, she, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That is a long portion of scripture, and it is a long genealogy. Thank you for bearing with me, but it is important. Oftentimes, whenever we approach a genealogy in scripture, at least I do this sometimes, I, I read the list of names as fast as possible just to say that I read it, and then I move on without really paying attention to what's going on. However, this is a very important genealogy. It shows the pedigree of Jesus. It shows his birthright. And we're going to look at a few of the characters mentioned in this genealogy. And the first, it's verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The declaration made by Matthew is that Jesus Christ is both a son of Abraham and a son of David. If you remember back to those promises in Genesis 12 and in 1 Chronicles 17, a son of Abraham would be the blessing of for the entire world, and a son of David would have his throne established forever. Keep that in mind here. Matthew then moves on to mention Judah, of whom it was prophesied that Shiloh would come in Genesis 49. One thing that I want to highlight for you all is that 
Matthew mentions four women in this genealogy. Now, obviously, he mentions Mary, but the four women are found towards the beginning of the genealogy. Scripture says, And Judas begat Perez and Zara of Thamar, and Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab. And then if you jump down to verse 5, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Darius. Now I want to highlight this because this isn't something that would normally happen in a genealogy. In Jewish genealogies, they focused more on the father, hence why most of this says, and Jesse begat David, and Solomon begat Reboam. So it says it focuses in on the father. They didn't really mention women. But let's think about who these women are. The first woman is Tamar. She was the one that would deceive Judah into committing adultery with her. The second is Rahab, a Gentile and a harlot. The third is Ruth, a stranger from the commonwealth of Israel, a Moabite. The fourth is Bathsheba, who sinned with David. And she is mentioned here as being the wife of Urias or Uriah. Now the question is, is why did Matthew put these women in the genealogy of Jesus? Why did it matter to put them in? Well, I think it's for two reasons. The first is, is that it shows the all-powerful grace of God. When you think about Tamar and Bathsheba, these, these women were adulteresses. Now, in, we, we, we can't judge people off of their ancestors, but back then this would have brought shame on, on Jesus' ancestral line. However, God is graceful. He allows these women to be a part of the line of Christ. <coughs> and there is a flip side to this coin, Judah and David. They both are complicit in this sin. And Judah and David are as much to blame as these two women for the sin that, that happened here. But in each case, God bestowed grace and mercy. One commentator even mentions about the sin of David and Bathsheba that the crime of David being repented to was so far from hindering the promise made to him that it pleased God by this very woman to fulfill it. It's an interesting concept of the grace of God here. The second reason that I think Matthew put these women in this genealogy relates to Rahab and Ruth. The Bible says that Christ would be a blessing to all people, even the Gentiles. It is said that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, and with the mention of Rahab and Ruth, we have two women who were Gentiles, but were made ancestors of Jesus Christ. This really proves that in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. As we continue looking on at this genealogy, a lot of these men were kings. In fact, most of them were. And if we know anything about the history of Israel and Judah is that uh, not all of them were very good kings. Some of them were good and some of them were bad. And here we, we're going to highlight a couple of these characters. The first one is Asa. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He tore down idols that were set up by his ancestors and fought against the enemies of Judah. The next king that I want to highlight is Josiah. He also did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. It is said of him that 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand nor to the left. Josiah was a good king. Now, we've got to think about some bad kings. So we're only going to talk about one because there were quite a few of them. And the one that is mentioned here is Manasseh. Manasseh simply stated did not do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, it is said of Manasseh that Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Basically, Manasseh caused Israel to sin more than anyone previously had. It is also speculated that Manasseh was the one that killed the prophet Isaiah, one of those prophets who looked forward to the coming of Christ. What an interesting character that God allowed to be an ancestor of his son. But I would be remiss to neglect the fact that Manasseh ended up repenting of his sin and turned back to God. He repaired the altars of the Lord. He began, he prayed unto the Lord and was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Israel into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What an awesome display of God's mercy and grace. And then to top it all off, Manasseh is placed in the line of Christ. Now these kings matter for a reason. These kings are mentioned here because it shows the line, the legal right that Jesus had to the throne of Israel. Jesus being a son of David has a right to the throne. And he has a legal right to it. Now, I also want to mention that this isn't necessarily the reason, what I'm about to tell you isn't the reason for the good and bad kings being mentioned in the genealogy. However, I think it is interesting that in Jesus Christ we have a king who is the Lord. He will never fail us. He is everlasting and so is his throne. The contrast between Jesus Christ and the evil kings is obviously massive, but then the contrast even between Jesus Christ and the good kings is massive as well. The last person of this genealogy that we are going to look at is the, is the mention of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. There are two details about this verse that I want you guys to notice. And the first is that, obviously, Joseph was the husband of Mary. And that leads us to the second detail. But it takes some digging. It says, uh, the, the verse says, of whom was born Jesus. The second detail uh, is, is found in the Greek. And it's in the Greek pronoun whom. This is a feminine form of the word. So there is no confusion that Jesus was not born of Joseph, but of Mary. This is the virgin birth that is, was prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. Further importance in this verse is the phrase, who is called the Christ. Here it is. The fulfillment of all of those prophecies that we mentioned earlier. Christ is the Greek way of saying the Messiah, the anointed one. And here the promise has been fulfilled. Jesus Christ has been born. But let's continue with the rest of the passage. We've looked We've taken a good long look at the genealogy of Jesus, but it is important. But let's take a look at the time around Jesus was born, the cultural and religious aspects that continue to show how Jesus Christ brings hope. 
in the Old Testament, we had some very important things happen. Three, uh, I want to think about three important events that happen. The first is that the temple is destroyed. Well, excuse me. The first is that the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians show up to Jerusalem one day and they say, we are going to besiege the city. We don't like Jerusalem. Uh, we are going to take all of the gold. We are going to steal everything from it. And a part of that would be the Ark of the Covenant. And that's all that we really know about what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know where it is. Indiana Jones was wrong. Uh, we do not know where the Ark of the Covenant is. And it is probably destroyed and lost to antiquity. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of the presence of God. That is where the high priest would go. He would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would make the sacrifice for the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement. It was the symbol of the presence of God, and now that is gone. With that, we have the destruction of the temple. In the very next chapter in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 25, it says, And he, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great man's house burnt he with fire. Now this leads us to Ezra 1, chapter 1, verse 2, where it says that Cyrus, the king of Persia, has been charged by the Lord God to build another temple. So he sends Zerubbabel to build another temple. And it gets built. And then we have the second temple being built. And, and now we have to look for, to history for the next bit. But Herod the Great, as he's so called, ends up renovating this temple and adds some height to it. It was shorter than the original temple and Herod didn't like that so he built it up some more. The temple has seen a lot of stuff happen in the time since Solomon built it. It's been torn down, it's been rebuilt, and it's been renovated. And this effect had a, and, and this, these events had an effect on the people of Israel. Since the Ark of the Covenant had been lost, the Holy of Holies in the second temple did not have any furnishings. The picture of the presence of God was gone. The third event in history that influences the culture of the Jewish people is the exile itself. With the exile, there came some bad stuff, but there was some good stuff too. And the first of these is the establishing of the synagogue. Since the temple was destroyed and the Jewish people are away in Babylon, they established, established synagogues as a place of worship. And this is where uh, Jewish people would meet, listen to scrolls from the Old Testament be read, and where they would ask questions to each other, and where they would worship God. A good example of scrolls being read in the synagogue is in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, where it says that Jesus went into a synagogue and read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, and says that that scripture had been fulfilled. So we have the establishment of the synagogue being part of the influence of the culture. Now, we have some religious people that also show up around this time, and we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees thought that uh, they were a very pious people. They were very righteous, very, very righteous. They were, they were very pretty on the outside, uh, but as we see in the Gospels, their sepulchers, their whited sepulchers, pretty on the outside but dead on the inside. And Jesus says of them, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
The Pharisees were a righteous people. They kept the law, but their hearts were far from God. Matthew 23 contains Jesus' scathing rebuke against the Pharisees. He says that their righteousness was fake, and further they placed burdens on the people. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay on them men and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The Pharisees placed burdens on the people. That's a stark contrast from the hope that has been prophesied in the Old Testament. Then you have the Sadducees, and they were always very sad. And you see, the reason why is because they had horrible theology. They read the Torah and neglected most of it, uh, but they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they didn't believe in the supernatural. So they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in demons, they didn't believe in anything like that at all, and they didn't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They were very uh, depressed people, quite frankly. (laughs) They were always very sad. That's why they're Sadducees. That is a very sad place to be. No hope. There is no hope. The people, the reason I bring this up is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they neglected hope. The people were burdened by the teachings of the Pharisees, and they were deceived by the teachings of the Sadducees. The people were not given any hope. They were not taught properly. And with the advent of Jesus, he brings that hope. We've looked at the genealogy of Jesus and the religious world that he would be born into, but let's take a look at the rest of the passage. Starting in verse 19, Scripture says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In the next little bit, we're going to talk a little bit more about the advent of hope. But before we get there, we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to see the kind of man that Joseph was. Scripture says that he was a just man. This means that he followed the law. He did what was right. He he followed God. And because he knew that Mary was pregnant, he was going to put her away. They were not married yet. This means that he was going to give her a bill of divorce. Now, this was not the normal way of going about this situation. Normally, most men in this situation would be, the the action that they would take would be to stone the woman because she had committed adultery. At least that's the assumption. However, Joseph does not do that and instead chooses chooses to put her away privately. He did not want to make a big deal out of it, but because he was a just man, he knew what he needed to do. He knew that he could not go forward with this marriage. However, we have some divine intervention in verses 20 and 21. Scripture talks about the angel showing up in Joseph's dream and saying, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, 
for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy, which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the angel convinces Joseph that he should still marry Mary. And the reason why the angel tells Joseph not to be afraid to marry her isn't just because of some obscure reason. But it is because her baby was conceived of the Holy Ghost. That is a staggering statement. I mean, just place yourself in Joseph's shoes. Place yourself in this situation. You might say to yourself, in, in Joseph's situations, not knowing, not having that dream yet, you know, I'm going to need a sign from the Lord in order to go forward with this. And Joseph gets that. He gets the biggest sign that anyone would ever get. And Joseph believes the angel and marries Mary. And as verse 24 says, he took Mary to be his wife and knew her not till the, she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And Joseph obeys God, he obeys the angel, and he does what he is supposed to do. Now in verse 21, the angel gives an even more staggering statement. He says, and, he shall, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The child in Mary's womb would be the savior of his people, and he would save them from their sins. What an awesome thing to be able to hear. Salvation from sin. Now the question is that I, I want to ask you is, who are Jesus' people? John 1.11 says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So he went to his own people, and his people rejected him. But then John 1.12 says, those who received him, to them gave he power of the Holy Ghost. Those who believe on his name. What an amazing statement. You know the name Jesus even means salvation? What, what, that is what the name means. It means salvation. The angel is telling Joseph to call the baby in Mary's womb salvation. How amazing. How hopeful. And a quick little rabbit trail that I want to take. Uh, Jesus Christ saves us from sin, but I want to point out three areas that he saves us from sin. He saves us from the punishment of sin, as seen in Romans 5.9. He saves us from the power of sin, as Romans 6.6 6 says, and he saves us from the presence of sin, which can be found in 1 John 3.2. Rabbit trail over. Take a look at verses 22 and 23. They should sound a little familiar. It says, now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Does that verse, does verse 23 sound familiar to you? Well, it should. It's Isaiah 7, 14. Here God has fulfilled his promise of sending a Savior. And something that you might not have noticed about Isaiah 7, 14 is that it doesn't have the last phrase of Matthew 1.23. Here we get the translation of Emmanuel. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Did you catch that? Do you, do you grasp the gravity of that statement? God with us. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is God and he is with us. How amazing that that is. I mean, just think about that for a second. That God is with us. 
the last portion of the passage shows that Joseph immediately obeyed and acted in the light of the revelation that he received from the angel. It says that he took Mary to be his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Here we have another way of seeing that Joseph is a just man. He was a just man because of his attitude toward his relationship with Mary. And he waited until what God prophesied to come to pass before he fulfilled his relationship with Mary. This shows self-control and shows that Joseph placed great importance on what the angel of the Lord said. And Joseph further obeyed by believing and naming the child Jesus. And this ends the passage, and this shows the birth of Jesus. Now, why does any of that matter? Let's think about it for a second. Why did we spend the better part of an hour talking about Jesus' genealogy, uh, the culture, and his parents? Well, let me tell you. The Savior of the entire world has arrived, and he arrived as a precious little baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Think about the ramifications of Jesus' birth for a second. We've been talking a little bit about the advent of hope, and there's only one true place to find hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can give it to you fully. Biblical hope is not, I hope my favorite team wins the Super Bowl. Odds are it's not going to happen. I'm a Lions fan. Hope, biblical hope is I know that this is going to happen. I am sure of it. I have this hope, and Christ provides us that hope. Because of Jesus' birth, there is hope that things won't always be like they are, that things can change because God is with us. The temple had a curtain in it that separated God and man, and when Jesus died, he tore that curtain in two. He rent it right down the middle. This happened because it is a picture of what Jesus did in his death. Because of his sacrifice, we are able to have a relationship with God like no one has had before. Jesus' death gives us the hope that comes with a personal relationship with God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now Paul is specifically talking about Gentiles here, but the point that should be dwelled on at this moment is that at some point we were without hope. But then Jesus Christ was born, and he died, and he was buried, and he resurrected, and we have hope, and we can have a, a relationship with God. Thinking about his his resurrection for a moment, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins, then, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. That is without the resurrection. If we don't have Christ and his resurrection, then we don't have hope. Jesus Christ was born to die. And this is further, this, this hope, this hope of the resurrection is further emphasized in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, 
that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Because of Christ, there is hope that there is something more after death. That there is hope to see our loved ones. That there is hope that we will be changed out of the sinful flesh. And there is hope that we can glorify God and be in his presence forever. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking for that appearing of Jesus Christ. And did you notice his title, his first title? It says Savior. Our Savior and our God is coming back, and this gives us hope. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came humbly. He was born in a stable, he was put in swaddling clothes, and he was placed in a manger. He had to be taken care of. He had to deal with the same stuff that we do. But he didn't come empty-handed. He came with hope. He brought us hope, and no other hope can be found outside of Christ. For all listening, this is, this is something that I have very, some, something very important to tell you. God thought that you were important enough to humble himself to the form of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh and live a human life. He had to be carried around as a baby. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to speak. I mean, think about that for a minute. He had to learn how to walk. The very God who created the cosmos and the God who created the human body had to learn how to use it as a baby, as he grew up. He humbled himself because he wanted to save you. Specifically for the believer, let this, let this be an encouragement to you in two ways. The first is that this should assure you that God fulfills his promises. Now, you might be at a point in your life where you're doubting that, but if you're not at that point, you probably will be in the future. If that is the case, remember Jesus' birth. It was the culmination of promises that were made 2,000 years prior. The second way that this should be an encouragement to you is that God gives us hope and we should not neglect it. We hear the story of Jesus' birth quite often, especially around Christmas time. But don't lose the awe and wonder of the hope that God gives us. For the unbeliever, for the unsaved person here, this should tell you three things. The first is that God is real. The evidence provided in this passage points to the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and that his earthly father and his mother were of the lineage of David. He was a son of David. He was a son of Abraham. He met every criteria for all of these prophecies that were made 2,000 years ago. The second is that without Christ, you have no hope. You are far away from God. You are without God in the world. You have no relationship with him. But the third is that you need to turn to Christ. Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. He will give you that hope. You can have hope today. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Let's pray.